Alright everybody, welcome back to the Dragon's Library. Uh, this is going to be an interesting day. I just got finished recording the first episode of the reference section, that new series I've been foretelling. It's going to be out next Tuesday. Why don't you check it out? I'm talking about Bionicle, one of my favorites. Uh, you know, give it a watch. And hey, if you go over to Buy Me a Coffee page, maybe you can go member. Watch it now if you don't want to wait. Alright, now that I got that out of the way... <laughs> Hey everybody, I'm back with a new episode of The Dragon's Library. Today we're going to be continuing my review of a book series uh, called The Heart Striker Series by Rachel Aaron. So yeah, let's get straight to it. Uh, for those of you who haven't, don't know what this is, it's about a world with magic, mages, and spirits, and of course, dragons. Uh, the main character is a nice dragon by the name of Julius. Uh, dragons are generally known as, like, the you know conniving, backstabbing, greedy monsters who will kill you without a second thought, use you for fun, and maybe, you know, kill you if you just talk back to them. So Julius doesn't really want anything like that, and he's been hiding from his family for years. But he gets thrown into the DFZ, a the city of Detroit that was destroyed by the spirit of Algonquin when she woke up, because they were polluting her waters, and she rebuilt it as like a capitalist, you know, cyberpunk dystopia, but with magic, because why the heck not, and dragons are illegal there. Long story short, there was a battle between dragon seers who can see the future and manipulate it, chains of the future binding it. A lot of other stuff happened, and Julius ended up defeating his mother, uh, ended up sort of by accident, sort of through the planning of Bo uh, his brother Brohemir or Bob, managing to beat Bethesda, the heart striker, and force her into an agreement that separates her powers into a new council. And that's where this story picks up. If you don't, you know, if you haven't talked with, you know, seen the rest of the story, uh, you can watch my previous two reviews on it. They'll be linked to, uh, show notes. Or you can just read the series. It's actually a pretty good series. Like, I won't say it's amazing or anything like that, but I will say the world itself is pretty unique. It's a, this kind of weird blend of cyberpunk with magic that I've always found really charming. Um, part of the reason I really like the DFZ series is because it really lets you explore the DFZ more, which is always nice. The first book gave you a lot of that. We didn't really see as much of that in the second and third book. Which is part of the reason some people, you know, don't not are not big fans of it. Like, no, 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 the second book is good. Third book is fine. Um, it does focus more on the Dragon Clan politics stuff, which is fine. I'm perfectly okay with that. Uh, I, I like. I lo I'm weird. I like stuff like that. So, <laughs> all right. So everybody's here who wants to be here. Cool. I'm not going to go into spoilers yet, but you know, just letting you know. So. Um, currently, this is the following directly off from the previous book. So, three sisters are dead. Uh, Algonquin has killed them, declared war on the entire dragon species. Uh, Marcy has, you know, awakened, her spirit is awakened and fully awakened, knows its name. He's the spirit of the forgotten dead, a mortal spirit born of human ideas rather than, you know, land masses or animals. Um, and Julius now wielding the Sixth Fang of the Heart Striker, the Peacekeeper's Fang, which is, it's basically the universal timeout button for violent dragons, which, uh, Julius is using to try and reform his clan into a more, you know, modern, uh, democratic kind of process. So basically, they wrote a contract, uh, because they have a seer working for them, and he planned all this. Of course he did. It's Bob we're talking about. Uh, so, yeah, that that's where kind of where we're at now. There is a uh, new council with Bethesda, Julius as one of the fangs, because there has to be an equal number of fangs and non-fangs, and another dragon elected by the general population. 
So they're trying to get a vote together. There are dragons that are, you know, going against it. There's David, who's uh, apparently a senator, and he's trying to side with Bethesda, hoping to get on the council, get elected to the council so that he can immediately dissolve it and he can get the old clan system back where he was on top. He's also supported by Gregory, who's trying to stir up resentment. Uh, Julius is trying to deal with the fact that Marcy and him are constantly getting separated because he has to deal with new clan duties, uh, new intrigue, and backstory on why Chelsea is the way she is and why she's still serving with Thesda. All of it's really fun. We actually get to spend an extensive amount of time with a new character called Frederick. Uh, he's one of the F-Clutch. Anyway, uh, for unknown reasons, F-Clutch has been bound by, since, like, before they were hatched by magic. They can't transform into full dragons. They have to obey all of Bethesda's rules, and they are stuck in the mountain. Basically, servants. They don't know why, and it's later hinted at that Chelsea is heavily responsible for the situation. She outright says, I'm the reason they can't ever leave. I'm the responsible for all of it. So, all in all, it's it's interesting. I like it. Uh, the new directions they take it are a lot of fun, and Julius's plot line, pretty solid. Yeah, I think it's fun. I especially like how he, you know, solves it all by nonviolence. Uh, then we have Marcy. So Marcy is Julius's partner. She's his kick-ass maze. She has an awesome death spirit as a pet. Uh, there, she's so much fun. Marcy's just the best. I love her. Uh, whenever she's nerdy out of her magic, talking about how it works, I'm like, yes, yes, yes. More details, please. More details. <laughs> I want to take notes here. Uh, and she has a thing where she gets to hang out with Amelia, who's like the planeswalker. She's the Heartstriker's resident best mage. One of the most powerful dragons on the planet. Uh, she's taking a personal interest in Marcy because of her mortal spirit, and she has potential to become something called Merlin, which is a sort of super mage. And, yeah. Uh, she ends up getting contacted by the UN, who have been looking for the Merlins for a long time. Uh, her spirit starts to fade after an incident, so she has to go back to the DFZ, where she's kidnapped by Algonquin, and I'm not gonna say any more, because super spoilers after that. Uh, so yeah, I actually really like this outing. Uh, it's a bit different from what usual. Like, the first two books were Marcy and Julius going on these adventures, they were always together for the whole thing, but book three actually has them separated for long periods of time and bouncing off new, new supporting characters. We see a lot more of Amelia than we did in the sec, the first, uh, the second book. You know, her talking with Marcy. Then we also have uh, Julia spending a lot of time with Frederick, Chelsea, and Justin, with Marcy also going to hang out with the two new UN representatives. Uh, Sir My- Myron Rollins, who's like, you know, the best human mage ever. He has this labyrinth magic that's very unique because he was born during the reformation of magic when all the pra- proper schools of magic hadn't internally formed yet, so he has his own kind of personal casting style. Um, and you also have a human cyborg made with magic who is personally bound to the spirit of ravens. Yes, it's as awesome as it sounds. Uh, she was in Detroit when it, ha- when it flooded, and her name is um, Emily Jackson. She's a really interesting character, actually. I think they do a good job characterizing her as, uh, well, sort of just, she's she's like the military badass, if that makes sense. But she also genuinely seems to care about this, and she's not doing this just to get revenge. Uh, there's this whole moment where, after Marcy finds out that she was in Detroit during Algonquin's flood, and she's like, so you accepted the power so you can get revenge? Like, no. I accepted the power so no one else would ever have to go through that ever again. It's like, oh, okay, so she's she's that kind of person. She's kind of like a paragon, but they take the paragon in an interesting way, and they do things with the... I'm not going to spoil it yet, because I'll get into the spoilers section later. Let's just say they show that she's a paragon... 
but she also expects everyone else to live by those Paragon standards, and she is willing to enforce that heavily. That's all I'll say for the moment. Um, which is actually an interesting way of displaying Paragon. It's not unique. There are other Paragons who have gone too far. Heck, there are Paragons who have literally become villains because being a Paragon led them to that villainous path. But it's still interesting to see nonetheless. You also get a lot of sympathy for Chelsea in this one. Bob's plotting the background, as usual. And the ending is just depressing. Like, this this is the all-that's-lost moment of the series. This is this book is the all-is-lost moment where, you know, every the characters get put through the ringer in this. Uh, mentally and physically, both of them. So, yeah, get, get prepared. If you care about Marcy and Julius, and why wouldn't you? They're sweet. He's a good dragon. She's an awesome mage. Together, they're amazing. Uh, anyway. So, yeah. Um, all in all, Rachel Aaron's, you know, still a good writer. I still think I prefer book two and book one to this book. Not, it's not the, that they're separated, even. Although, don't get me wrong, I do like Marcy and Julius bouncing off each other. I wish we had a bit more of that. But I do like the new characters they introduced. It's just... This is where the timeline and a lot of the things feel like she didn't really plan them out fully. Like, and I know what some people will be like, just don't think about it. And I'm like, alright, fine. But when I think about the timeline, it just kind of gets me confused. Because you have to make, like, ten different assumptions. But they've, she's kind of also ridden herself a sort of, like, get-out-of-jail-free card. Because, okay, the main gimmick, one of her main gimmicks is that they're dragon seers. And they see the web of possibilities in every action, the, you know, the probability of responses. And so a lot of things they do are, like, random actions that don't make sense to anyone else, but seem to be pointing everyone into making certain choices. And so whenever a seer who are responsible, a lot of the, Bob is responsible for a lot of the exposition. And so when he tells people something... That doesn't quite mess up. It's not a lie per se, but it's like, well, wait, why were you surprised by this? Then you have to ask, hey, wait, were you just acting surprised because you needed to get this reaction? And then it's just like, eh, my head hurts. Um, there's also the big egg laying thing, but I'm not going to talk about that right now because, um, like, it's not the best series in the world. Don't get me wrong. The writing isn't perfect and it's, you know, does have its minor plot issues. But genuinely, I think the world they create is just a fascinating world. This mechanics behind spirits, the different ideas it puts forth. Like, the raven spirit is really curious and interesting, good, good tools. And he's always liked playing around with humanity. But whereas Algonquin as a lake spirit, as someone who's had to, you know, deal with humans constantly defiling her lakes and overfishing them and stuff like that, she has a much more pessimistic view on it all. Um, and it's interesting to see all these different points of views. The, you know, the cyborg soldier who watched her whole world destroy when magic returned. The pompous U.S. U.N. mage that was seeking, that was seeking a god, you know, a spirit they thought was literally just like a god that would help bring humanity to a new age of magic. And the god they find is the god of death attached to a girl who doesn't seem to care, you know, and he cares a lot. He feels that it's a defilement of everything he held dear. I like these little touches because they make the characters in the world seem alive. And Rachel Aaron is really, really good at that. And when she's allowed to just do that, it works. Um, so yeah, so let's get into this brief spoiler section. So, um, you don't really need to know a whole lot about the spoilers for this one. There aren't too many major things. You know the major characters are most likely going to live because there are two more books. Except, uh, that's kind of a lie. <laughs> yeah, if you stay past this one, get ready for a spoiler spoiler. Uh, Marcy dies at the end. Marcy Vale Novali dies. And it's a really tragic death, actually. Um, 
So basically what happened was Julius has managed to get his clan united under a council and all that. But Marcy uh, was attacked by one of the dragons that got banished. Uh, by a dragon got banished during the process, and uh, Ghost had to save her life, which drained most of his magic. So she was brought by the UN to the DFZ so that she could recharge Ghost in a place with a lot of ambient magic, the place where she found him, where his spirit can really resonate. Um, but she gets captured by Algonquin. Now, they go to save her, but they take too long to leave, and Algonquin catches them. She traps Julius and Chelsea in a bubble, do, takes down both the Leviathan, pins down the uh, UN members, and she offers Marcy the choice. She'll either submit and come with her peacefully, or she'll drown the dragons. And of course, Marcy decides that she's not willing to let Julius die, so she decides to go. But plot twist, this is where the whole Emily Jackson is kind of a paragon thing comes back to bite the other character. See, Sir Myron has already become disillusioned with the whole thing and just wants nothing more to do with Marcy or Spirit. And, um... Yeah, Algonquin's plans have been set back. She wanted to stop the Mortal Spirit from rising because she's a god, basically. By, by to humans, she's a god. But Mortal Spirits are a tier above other spirits and they're born of human desires and fears, which, yeah, you can see where this is going, aren't exactly pleasant. So, back in the day, uh, moral spirits kind of terrorized the lower spirits and turned the, it basically defiled them. Algonquin literally just terrified of this old world, and so she's trying to create an unofficial moral spirit so she can get a hold of the Merlin's secret powers, whatever the, those are. I'm not going to spoil those yet. Um, and use it to cap the magic, preventing the moral spirits from ever having enough magic to ever rise and become alive again. Only a handful, like Ghost and her artificial spirit, who were boosted either through the deaths of Detroit or for her pulling magic into it, are strong enough to even rise at this point. And they're really small, or I guess Ghost is pretty large, but he really got a boost by Algonquin, you know, flooding the entire city. And a spirit of the Forgotten Dead in a city where basically, you know, hundreds of thousands of people died. Yeah, that thing's going to get a boost. So, yeah. But anyway, Emily Jackson says, you're betraying your entire species, and Marcy decides to go, and then there's a crack like thunder, and the cyborg hand cannon that Jackson, Emily Jackson had used was fired, and it obliterated Marcy's chest. And Algonquin just lets everyone go. He's like, well, set back. I guess I gotta find a way to restore my spirit. And Julius is crying and begging for her to see, do something, staying on. And Marcy is hearing Ghost saying, Marcy, I can see it. I can see how we become Merlin. But you have to follow me. You have to come with me. And she's just trying to hang on to life and listen to Julius a little bit more. And then she just dies. She takes Ghost's hand and she dies. Not looking at Julius. And he's he gets pissed. Like... This is the first time in the entire series where Julius, the nice dragon, the guy who's always trying to find the peaceful solution to everything, gets pissed. He, like, seriously, this is, like, the angriest you will ever see Julius. Um, and it was a sight to behold. Like, just the sheer rage and despair on his face, the comp, the fact that Chelsea, the shade of Bethesda, the dragon's assassin, has to comfort him. Um, and he goes all out. He even transforms, he even mentions, like, I didn't understand why other dragons had fire when they changed. I never did. 
I realize now that there was their intent to kill someone, to burn the world to ash. And he tries to kill Emily Jackson. She's a dragon hunter. And he takes a chunk out of her because he's just in a Madden frenzy. And of course, Algonquin is just like, ooh, this sounds interesting. I'll watch. Might be a nice consolation prize after losing my spirit and the Merlin. Um, but believe it or not, Chelsea actually stops him because she realizes that he'll never be able to forgive himself if he does this. And when he realizes he can't break free and shred Emily Jackson, he just curls up in a ball and starts weeping, crying. And yeah, it's really sad. Um, of course, afterwards, he decides to go... Chelsea takes him home, and he just locks himself in his room. He shuts down. He's like, if somebody else wants my fang, they can take it. I don't want anything more to do with it. I lost everything because of this. And Chelsea just is like, you made promises, Yorgis. I understand it's hard. I know what it's like to lose all this. I understand what it's like. But you have a responsibility to keep moving on. And she just convinces him to keep going. And he... And, he decides to because he knows it's what Marcy would have wanted him to do because he knows it's what his clan needs him to do. But that kind of hopeful optimism, that betterment, the desire to see a world, does not, not desire to see a world, but desire to believe there is a better world is kind of gone. And he's determined to force it now. So when Bob tries to tell him he should not free the Fs because he's seen, you know, oh, you, you always listen to me, little one, little brother, so you should definitely listen to me now. Do not free Chelsea in the S. Do not free Chelsea. Maybe F Clutch, it's a little murky, but we can always free her later, right? And Julius just says, no. I'm doing what I think is right. Because I waited too long to tell Marcy how I feel, and she died. Um, and yeah, it's, ugh. So he frees, he, he, he and, uh, Ian, the dragon who was in the first book, who's now the new council member alongside Julius, uh, manages to free, find a legal loophole and freeze Chelsea and, Beth- and F-Clutch from their oaths and their, uh, and sets them free. Chelsea, Chelsea was gonna kill Bethesda, but, she, you know, when she threatened to reveal her secret, and so Julius managed to get them to agree that Chelsea won't kill her as long as Bethesda keeps the secret. They swear an oath, and Chelsea just drops her fang and reads, and Julius you know, just kind of sit back. He's like, well, at least somebody's happy. Meanwhile, Amelia is suffering backlashes due to a deal she had with Marcy that, you know, Marcy was carrying her fire, so now she's super weakened. And she asked Bob to kill her for some unknown plot they're working on. Uh, he is then found by Estella, who blames the Heart Strikers for this loss. So let's see here. They've lost Marcy. Chelsea, the protector and thing that's keeping their clan stable and together, is gone. Julius is a freaking wreck. Bob is plotting something dangerous and just killed his favorite sister to make it happen. And she seemed to want it, so that's a little confusing. Oh, and Marcy seems to be trapped and isn't able to actually contact Ghost and is now in some of, somewhere else. So, all in all, little weird. A little strange and very depressing ending. But, as if to show that there is better things on the horizon, Bob takes the fire he stole from Amelia and uses it to hatch the unhatched egg that Chelsea had been holding on to all these years into a brand new dragoness with golden eyes. And we wait for book four. So yeah. Book three, the book three is interesting. I really liked it. It's just, uh, the characters are fun. Like, whenever you get those character actions, I'm sorry, 
the whole Chelsea just comforting Julius and being like, I didn't want this to happen. I she, she You get the feeling that she really has dedicated her whole life to making sure that what happened to her did not happen to the rest of her siblings. And she has to just watch as someone else lives through the you know, emotional loss of lo- truly losing someone you cared about so young, just like she was. She was only like 26 when she went through her whole thing in China. Um, and she, she actually really does pull off the whole iron threatening badass, but I also have, you know, a lot of emotional stuff going on underneath really well. Frederick is really fun, actually. She, he's like kind of a stuffy butler dragon. He's always like, and really like looks up to Julius as the person who finally set his entire clutch free. Um, and is always trying to help Chelsea, even when she's, you know, a bit brisk about it. I like all the new characters. So they get to do a lot more stuff in book four. Happy to see it then. I'll be reviewing that in the future. So yeah. Uh, if you'd like to follow us on Twitter for more updates, you can check us out at dragon underscore library two. In addition, you can go to our Buy Me a Coffee page to support the channel. Please check it out. Uh, the next week, we'll be doing the reference section video on um, Tuesday. And then I will be doing a uh, review of Marvel What If on Friday. And the next Tuesday after that, I'll be doing Bionicle Time Trap because I really want to talk about that. So, yeah. See you then. I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode, and thank you for listening to The Dragon's Library. Please, subscribe to this podcast to be notified of new episodes. The Dragon's Library releases new episodes Tuesday and Friday each week, and you can follow us on Twitter at dragon underscore library 2. If you want to suggest an episode topic, my email is in the description below. As always, thank you so much for all your support.